the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So war in the Ukraine, forest fires in Canada, mass shootings in our country. Life is fragile and a very uncertain thing. Where will we be if suddenly life is over? In our text, a poor man and a rich man find themselves in eternity. So let us learn from what they discovered about this life and the one to come. Consider a life on the fire, Lazarus. It is hard to imagine a scenario worse than the one that Jesus portrays. Here is a man destitute of this world's basic goods, in ragged clothing, probably unbathed, owning neither home nor able to hold a job, having less status than a slave. Here is a man totally dependent on the mercy of others simply to keep body and soul together. To eat the scraps that fell from the rich man's table was the best he could hope for. What would the world say to him, to Lazarus? Well, it's fate. The lottery of life has been lost here. Sorry. Overcome your status. Pick yourself up out of the sewer and be productive. Curse God and die. Curse God and die. Job's wife had told him just before she left him, you have been abandoned by God, so just end it all. Curse God and die. When life caves in on you, what is your attitude? Have you too concluded that God has walked out on you? Or spending your time in despair asking, why me? Maybe today or soon you may feel a bit like Lazarus. If so, then take hope. While no one wishes tragedy or hardships on themselves, perhaps it is a blessing in disguise. When every earthly support and security is pulled away, where do we go for help? If you had to choose which of these two characters you would be, which would you select? This grinding poverty, this terrible disease? These humiliating circumstances led Lazarus to seek hope in God. And he found hope and mercy in God. He was more spiritually astute than the man of means because his need was great and no other solution could be found. Perhaps had the tables been turned, Lazarus would have found himself in the rich man's position of prideful self-sufficiency and been lost. Now consider life from the fire, the rich man. This is precisely the kind of person with which the Pharisees would seek to associate. Remember, this is the same bunch of people that had just listened to the parable of the unjust steward who could not serve God and money. So Jesus uses this parable to illustrate the unbelief of the Pharisees and those like them. Now if we were to speak of the rich man in today's term, we would have to conclude that this man was living the American dream. 
and had had a very good life. His life was lived with material comfort and he wanted for nothing. He undoubtedly was the envy of others. He certainly had the respect of his community. After all, I assume, he gave good dinner parties and invited all the proper people. He even demonstrated his benevolence in permitting the scraps that fell from his table to become a meal for the poor. How generous of him. He might have gotten the Man of the Year Community Award for his contributions. But now things have changed for the rich man. The God he never needed or had time for has called for, has called for an accounting of his life and he has been found wanting. How often do we assume that we have all the time in the world? How many who died in mass shootings thought that tomorrow they would continue life as usual? How many who died in forest fires thought that they could tend to material matters on another day? How many who were injured in the Ukraine, in the Ukrainian war, never gave a thought to God, his church, or their eternal destiny until they nearly lost their life? And I'm thinking of that Fox News reporter who was severely injured and survived. Where do we find the man who had it all? Well, find him in hell. He finds himself in a place of eternal torment. Does this make us uncomfortable? Does the reality of hell slap us into reality? Eternity is real. God is just. <laughs> In anguish, the rich man cries across an unbreachable schasm to Abraham so that once again he may be comforted. So please note, when the rich man voices his complaints, it's not because he's separated from God, nor does he discover the cause of his condition in himself. No, he blames God for not delivering the message in a way that he would be willing to acknowledge. He has Moses and the prophets, but they were not sufficient. He's making the same case for his brothers as he does for himself. God isn't doing enough. Nothing has changed for this selfish man. And finally, consider the life on the fire and our own lives. What is the center of attention in our lives? For the rich man, it was his personal comfort, not God. For Lazarus, there was only God for comfort. What about us? Our station in life is irrelevant. What counts is the bedrock of our lives. Has God become a distant priority in our lives, taking a backseat to family, work life, comfort, recreation, and 1,001 other things in life that can distract us from the eternal reality of our lives? Have our schedule becomes, schedules become so busy and scattered that we failed to hear the critical deference to the immediate. Who are we listening to the most? The Word of God has been speaking to us since baptism. The world has been screaming at us loudly and longing for our attention. That is a smokescreen intended to blind us to the truth of God in Christ. So let me conclude with one final question. What did the wagon train pioneers do in the event of a prairie, prairie fire? What did they do? And the answer is, 
take your stand by the cross, all else will be swept away. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen.